I push every plate to the point of failure. I want to get as close to that line of failure and sometimes I cross it. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf, and I release weekly episodes with people around the world who share our love of printmaking. If you like what we do, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. If you don't like what we do, don't don't worry about it. We're, we're cool. Thanks. Or you can just tell a print friend about the podcast so they can enjoy it too. We also have a Patreon page where supporters can join at tiers that start at just a dollar a month, and that helps us to keep bringing you printmaking content every week. You also get cool thank yous like exclusive merch and access to our bonus content. Shop Talk with our editor, Timothy Pauschak. These are quick and dirty tips and tricks with our guests about materials, processes, business advice, and general studio nonsense. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you can check out the link in the show notes and sign up to hear Tim's chat with today's guest. And if you want to save a little cash and still support the show, you can sign up for a yearly subscription and save 15% off that tier price. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. Hello Print Friends is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been bringing high-quality products to your practice since 1997. Products like their line of professional relief inks, beginning with the flagship color, Super Graphic Black, developed with artist printer Bill Fick. Formulated with all the working properties artists demand, these light fast inks roll out consistently, transfer beautifully, and clean up easily with soap and water. So if you want to take your practice to the next level, head on over to Speedball's website to see where you can pick up a can of your new favorite color. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Abel Alejandre. We'll talk about growing up in a small town in Mexico and coming to the U.S. at a young age, the social constructions that make up masculine ideals, and the unexpected and often intimate conversations he can have with men who show up at his exhibitions, and roosters, roosters, roosters galore. Abel also had a chat with our co-host, Ronaldo Gilzambrano, in Spanish. So if you're a bilingual print friend or an aspiring bilingual print friend, check that out too. So without further ado, Sit back, relax, and prepare to talk man-to-man with Abel Alejandra. Hi, Abel. How's it going? Hi, Miranda. I'm doing well. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear it. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to talk today. As am I. Beautiful. Well, before we dive into my questions that I have here, would you please introduce yourself to our listening audience and just let people know who you are, where you are? and how you describe what it is that you do. All right. Well, my name is Abel Alejandre, and I am a visual artist, and uh, I'm a printmaker, a painter, and a drawer. But I always like to say that I'm a printmaker first. Uh-huh. I am uh, mostly known as a Los Angeles artist, but I'm based out of Long Beach, which is you know, 15, 20 minutes from downtown LA. And I just like to create. Beautiful, beautiful. So where did you grow up and what role did art have in that part of your life? Well, I um, I arrived to, to the United States in 1975 with uh, my mother, uh, sister, brother, and I, and, uh, and I was seven years old. And this was the first time that I actually got to 
have an opportunity to make art. You know, like I, I showed up to first grade and uh, I was given some paint and some paper and uh, I just couldn't believe that this was a thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so from that moment on, I, I just wanted to draw and paint and uh, and that's what I kept doing until I discovered uh, printmaking. Mm. And uh, I, I'm pretty much self-taught as a printmaker and part of me wishes that I would have received instruction in the beginning. I would have, uh, would not have done things the wrong way for so long. <laughs> but at the same time, I think had someone told me how hard some of the things I attempted were, I would have not have done it. Yeah. But, you know, uh, you live and learn. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, if when I started the podcast, if someone told me, like, how much work doing weekly episodes actually was, I might have been like, wait, really? You know, but it's you, you start out and you just kind of have to follow your passions. And sometimes you end up, you know, doing way more than you thought you would. Yeah. <laughs> Inevitably. Yeah. That, that, that is always the case. Absolutely. And I, I read on your website that uh, you were actually born in was it like a, quite a small town in Mexico. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I, I come from a small town that, you know, well, at least when I left, it was very rural. There was no paved roads, no running water, no electricity. Wow. As far as I was concerned, it could have been the 1600s. Yeah. I didn't know about any modern technology. And uh, it was a, pr- a pretty uh, simple existence. I was just going to say that the name of my region, I don't, even, I don't even think we had a town. It was just called Hot Dirt. Like that whole region was just <laughs> really? hot dirt. It's, it's part of Mesoamerica. Okay. And, you know, it's elevated higher than the rest of the, the continent. So we're closer to the sun. Right. And you, year round, you could be walking around naked and mm-hmm. still not be cool enough. It was just always hot. And yeah. the first time I was in 70 degrees, I was freezing. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. I'm thinking about that a little bit as, you know... When I go back to visit the States from Bangkok, I'm like, I don't even know what it's going to feel like. Like, I never, it never gets below like 30 Celsius here. So I'm just like, wait, what? What? Like, what does 60 feel like Fahrenheit? Yeah. It's so funny how our bodies adapt like that so quickly. Yeah. And so how did you discover printmaking and how did you go about teaching yourself how to do the medium? Well, I... I went to the art store and I just saw the linoleum blocks at the art store and and I saw the carving tools. And so I just picked them up and took them home and just then went and got a book uh, at the library to to see what it was I was supposed to do with it. I'm like, oh, that seems simple enough. And, you know, after cutting myself a couple of times, (laughs) I think I was cutting my hands more than I was cutting the, the block. And I just it just seemed like. A really difficult thing to do, and I guess the the printmaker's credo uh, was really meant for me. If there's a more difficult way of doing things, uh, why don't we give that a try? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just kept I kept trying, and I, and even when I figured something out, I wanted to make it more difficult for myself instead of like just doing the things that oh I know how to do this now. This is easy. Let's just keep doing this. I was like, how can I make this more complicated? And that's always been like uh, my, uh, you know, I don't know, just something I do. I'm just always like, you know, uh, I gravitate towards that sort of behavior, no matter what it is. Mm. I just want to make it harder on myself. (laughs) So how did you go about 
challenging yourself? Were you just looking for more realistic, more detailed? What did that actually look like? Well, for me, what that meant was, you know, how how can I make it more complex? So, mm. you know, at first I just wanted, wanted to figure out, of course, how to make a decent print. But later I was like, okay, how can I uh, make my carving more intricate so it doesn't look so uh, childlike and amateurish? And so I wanted to just have more complicated uh, line work, more complicated uh, um, composition. And um, I destroyed a lot of plates, you know, <laughs> and doing that. And I've never uh, shied away from making mistakes. And I, that's one thing that I've always it has always helped me that I probably break more rules and make more mistakes and fail more often than I succeed. Mm. When I succeed, I feel very satisfied. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is such a narrative of art making that can get lost sometimes is the amount of uncertainty, the amount of hits your ego has to take along the way in the process of making something. Because of course, we all see art, this sort of finished product, we see it displayed publicly or even on Instagram or on the web. But you don't see all of the difficulties that go into it. And as you say, like all of the things that we can classify as mistakes or failures or blocks that you just have to throw away. So I always appreciate it when people I'm talking to just straight up admit, I make mistakes, I throw away blocks, I have to start again, because it's so important, I think, for people to hear, and particularly people who are just starting out, and maybe even trying to teach themselves the medium. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I I push every plate to the point of failure. Mm. I Get as close to that line of failure, and sometimes across it as possible. <laughs> and and I find it interesting when someone looks at my work and they say, "Oh my God, that is so detailed. That's so complicated. Mm. You could never do that." I'm like, "No, you're wrong. You could. <laughs> you just have to be willing to fail. Mm. You know, like if you just push yourself. And it's like I wasn't born, you know, like." With this sort of control, you know, uh, it took a lot of uh, a lot of falling, you know, before I could ride that bike, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. So, so it's 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 an advice I always give to young printmakers because everybody wants to do whatever the, the, their their printmaking heroes do, right? Yeah. Everybody's like, "Well, I want to do that." And can you teach me how to do that? And it's like, "Do you want to know how to do that?" I mean, it's like, I mean, if you want to do it, then I can show you how you can do it, but. You really got to want it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, what is that? It's like the old, the old joke about, you know, how you get to Carnegie Hall, right? Practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and I like- yeah. And I think that it's, it, it, there's this such this, this sort of mysticism about art. People, particularly, I think, with people who aren't practicing artists, where they just think that it's just this sort of magical thing that is some people have and some people don't. And that's not to say that there aren't really fortunate people who are who are blessed with certain talents. Um, you know, you, you don't really, you can't choose the sort of like hand you're dealt in terms of going into it. But absolutely, people who can really draw can really draw because they draw all the time. You know, it's like, right. it's, uh, it, it's the same way anyone gets good at anything. And I do think that to some extent, art does itself a bit of a disservice by seeing this sort of separateness, this kind of mystical uh, magic, like you can't, you're not a part of this, you weren't born, you know, as part of the blessed few or something like that. And I think if more people understood that it is accessible, and it is a skill that you can learn, 
we'd have more people engaged with it and more people caring about it. Yeah. Well, I always, you know, I, uh, I have pretty decent draftsmanship when it comes to drawing. I can uh, probably one drawing, I can kill 700 pencils <laughs> and I, I, I don't smudge. It's all line work. So I have a lot of, uh, of control. And when people tell me they can never do that, you know, like I could teach anyone to draw like I draw. Mm. But you really would have to take instruction and, you know, and be, you know, and, and let your, you know, your ego uh, go wherever it's going to go. If it's gonna <laughs> yeah. And but I found that that sort of discipline really helped me wh- wh- when I started, you know, um, cutting. Mm. And, and I, I although I, I think that um, probably had way too much confidence because <laughs> I had always cutting on linoleum and the first woodcut that I ever cut I saw someone do a woodcut of I think it was like uh, maybe like three by three feet uh and um I I, I, did, I wasn't impressed by, uh. by the actual block and so I decided well I'm gonna make one that's four feet by eight feet <laughs> now mind you I had never cut wood before and I so I gave myself as a timeline, you know, that uh, I was going to do it in a couple of days. Uh-huh. And I, I just, I did not realize how much fight there was in wood. <laughs> right. And, and how I was going to destroy my, uh, the tools I did have, they just were not going to work for the job. So I really did it and I was surprised that I did it, but I was more surprised about how much work it was, how many cuts I got in my hands and mm. it just, how much fight there was in it. And after that, I'm like, oh, I'm hooked. Oh, you know, like this, this is it. Like, cause now it was a true challenge. Right. And fortunately, because I, I didn't know how hard it was going to be. I did try it. And that was the first piece that I got into a permanent collection in a museum. Oh, right. And, uh, and I, was just, I was just blown away that, like, that was the one. I think that if I would have known, you know, every artist is wondering what piece is going to make it to the museum. And I know I have some, some of my pieces. I'm thinking, this is the one because this is good. I like it. I like everything about it. But that may not be the one that gets chosen. Yeah. I think if I would have known it was good, that that was going to be the one, I would have spent more time with it. Mm-hmm. I would have paid it more. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny how the people who you're doing the creating sometimes can be totally off when it comes to judging the reception of the work, which is so fascinating to me because, you know, just in my own experiences, you know, sometimes I'll make something and I'll be like, this is it. This is the greatest whatever, you know, whatever it is I've ever, I've ever made. Like, I really nailed that interview. And then, you know, I'll get feedback that people are like, oh, no, my favorite was this one over here. And it's just, I just love that it has that sort of unpredictability that once you create something and you release it out into the world, it's no longer yours really in a way. And it's just out there kind of living this life that you don't have control over anymore. And maybe it ends up in in a museum or in a collection or maybe it gets looked over and you just, it's just out there like your little baby, like growing up and you can't really try to control it at that point. Yeah. I mean, they're like your children, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you, some of them you're more proud of than others. <laughs> and then you're like thinking, oh, this one's going, this is Ivy League uh, quality. This, this kid's <laughs> going to go all the way. And, and then uh, he ends up being a meth addict. <laughs> you know, like, that's a friend that like never made it, like got, never got any love. Yeah. So I'd love to talk to you a bit specifically about the content of your work as well. I have some questions that I've come up with looking at your portfolio, poking around online, reading some 
content that's out there. But I would love to hear you describe your practice, the sort of themes, how you go about addressing them. What's of interest to you that you put in your work? Well, my work, I, I like I like dealing with um, male inner life. Mm. And I like expecting, you know, uh, male insecurity and um, just uh, the things that define men. You know, like what what really is what is manhood? And I like to seduce the viewer with beautiful line work, mm. so you can have an uncomfortable conversation about you know uh, small penises, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and how your insecurity, you know, uh, you, you know uh, these uh, these males with these insecurities are making those around them suffer. Mm. And so I, I just like taking different slivers of of, of masculinity. And inspected them, and you know, just just looking them, you know, on the sides from the bottom, and and just exploring what it means to be a man, and just taking different aspects of it, so I can have conversations about it. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's been of, of interest to me. And I I grew up with um, with two sisters and a very uh, strong-willed mother, and <clears throat> I've always been a, um, a very sympathetic to some of the things that they've struggled with, and you know. And when it came to the men in in my family, my friends, my coworkers, the men, all the men around me seemed to have a much easier, uh, you know, uh, struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, mm. it, and I'm not gonna say there was no struggle for for the men, but it wasn't as hard as it was for the women in my family. But you know, and it, it just made me, you know, reevaluate my role, my role, and my complicity as a man. And you know, I I just it's something I took an interest in. And, you know, when I was uh, a young man, I got into a lot of, uh, you know, physical altercations. And as I got older, I, um, I just, I thought about it, you know, I reflected on it and just wonder what all the aggression was about. And it's something that does kept my interest for, you know, some time now. And so I, I want to incorporate that into my work. Mm. And, and it's just something that, uh, I think I'm done with, and the, but and then I, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's something that is really quite interesting to me um, because I think you've said some, like you said, a lot of very important things in there, but a few that sort of stick out to me, you know, is this idea that the just leaving these insecurities unexamined, we sort of leave them to wreak havoc in society in a way, and and I think that the 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 social construction of the masculine is something that doesn't get a lot of examination and yet it deeply affects the world and you know men feeling insecure or um, lashing out or as you said getting into physical altercations to maybe sort of prove something and I think it's it's yeah it's 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 something that I don't think gets enough attention and you know, um, I am, a, you know, a female identifying person. And so I get to engage a lot in dialogues around like, feminism and womanhood and sisterhood and all of that. But I do think that it is very important as well to look at the way we construct masculinity, because it also greatly affects the way people interface with the world. And I think with masculinity, there's this whole other side to it that can be... <laughs> you know, kind of dangerous, like toxic masculinity, you know, like these things that happen, like people who get violent, people who um, are kind of destructive through it as well. And I think 
the more we can have open dialogues about it, the better. Well, absolutely. I, I think that when it comes to talking about manhood, is it is important for the men to initiate it. Mm. And, you know, uh, men will shut down when a, when a woman is telling a man what, you know, how they should behave, how they should engage with the rest of the world. And I think it's, it's important that men don't shut down that dialogue. Mm. And, you know, and, and actually participate. And I think by a man initiating it with other men, you know, or, or just bringing the topic, you know, make opening up the topic and, and saying, it's OK that we, we to talk about these things. That there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm. They're just feelings. You know? yeah. yeah. But men act like, you know, like somehow it, they will lose their masculinity. They will lose their manhood if they talk about these things. Don't they? Don't name these monsters because they will come and get me. You, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I am um, I am 53 years old and I've always have had, you know, from the time I was a young man, I've always had a difficult time talking to other men about manhood. Mm-hmm. And I've tried and I've tried having these conversations and men always get uncomfortable and they always want to change the subject. And, you know, um, because, you know, we as men really don't want to talk about our feelings. But mm-hmm. it's more than that. And manhood is really on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the, no one uh, type of personality defines all men or, or one sort of activity defines all men. And, you know, but a lot of men fear that you're going to call them out on whatever it is that they're doing. What, you know, like whatever insecurity they're dealing with, you know, maybe self-doubt, <laughs> maybe may, may uh, about not making enough money, not not uh, not being tall enough, you know, mm. uh, penis envy. I don't know. But whatever insecurity that they're dealing with, they're afraid to be called out on it. So it's better to just shut down the conversation. And, you know, I, I find that when I um, I create the work and I have these conversations once it's out there, once we're engaging, you know, it, it, that facade, that wall comes down and I, it's much easier to talk about it. And I know that it makes me a little bit of an activist artist in that sense. And uh, I tend to stay away from uh, political you know, or, uh, or activist uh, work because it, it just I think it's too easy. Mm. And, uh, and uh, I want to make it. Uh, have some nuance, have some uh, some room for people to to li- to live with it without feeling like this gotcha moment. Mm. Like, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to people feel like I tricked them. Even though I, I guess I, I guess I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm playing a long game here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's something very. Um, I, I I think I know what you're kind of getting at there in the sense of it seems like you're looking for your work to kind of ask questions more than explicitly explicitly state like a dogma maybe or explicitly state a belief is that maybe more what you mean yeah no is it like like i don't have uh i don't have any rules i don't um you know i I don't have any uh any agenda Mm. that that i'm that that, that i'm like i'm not trying to make men softer for instance Mm. you know but I do want men to think, to be more thoughtful and, and I want to have, I just want to have an open conversation about, you know, masculinity. And I, I don't, uh, think that we have to define it. And I, I don't, I don't have an, a, a, a specific agenda other than that it's okay to talk about this and we should, and we should, and we should be more comfortable with, with this because, you know, um, male mental health, it's a good, it's a good thing 
to you know to, to to think about and to work on because I think we would make the world a better place. <laughs> mm, absolutely, yeah, it's a good thing for everyone. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you found that you've gotten to have these conversations around your work? You know, either at openings or at artist talks, or just in ways that you wouldn't get to in other situations. I, I, it, it, I just I love it when it happens. Uh, I, I um, I'm at the LA Art Show uh, in Los Angeles, and so. This is like a four-day art fair, and I have some work up there, and I've had several amazing conversations with with men mm. about you know about about themselves. They t- they talk to me about themselves, and I feel, sometimes I feel like like sure, come on in, sit on the couch, <laughs> right? I bet, I bet. <laughs> They tell me about their fathers. They tell me about the, you know, like, you know, how it made them feel, and, and, and you know, and and they always thank me. That they, they walk, they, they give me a hug, and it's mm. just like it's a beautiful thing. And you know, gay and straight men, you know, like transgender, uh, you know, individuals have come up to me, and and, and we talked about uh, these issues. And I don't think that I would have that conversation mm. without this device that I call art. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is this way that art connects people. And something that I've been thinking about before is this phrase that's like, the shortest distance between two people is a work of art. And it just really sounds like that's reflecting what you're saying. Um, well, I really like that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's because, you know, you're saying that there are these um, you know, really people who are strangers, but between you and them, there's this work of art that you created. And all of a sudden you're getting to have this dialogue about things that maybe they haven't spoken to anyone about before. And it's a work of art that gets you there, which is so beautiful. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm always amazed like how effective it can be. Mm. with some people not with everybody obviously uh some people are not ready to have that conversation and uh, and they're not ready for my work to be frank mm. you know sometimes uh, you know when you look at my work in comparison to maybe other artists uh maybe it's a little dark maybe you know it, it's it's a little too serious and maybe someone just wants you know a beautiful sunset <laughs> yeah some people just want a landscape it's true <laughs> yeah and, uh, and if, if that's the case then i'm not for you not yet Mm-hmm. But you'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in the sort of time that you've been working on this subject, has it evolved at all your own opinions about it? Or have you found mm-hmm. that maybe it's ha- evolved or changed or, or grown the way that you conceive of the constructions of masculinity personally? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. There, there are constructs, right? And then, and then the, there is innate, uh, you know, uh, behavior. And you know, I'm, I'm finding that a lot of things that I just felt were innate really aren't. Mm. And, and you know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm constantly being challenged by, by my basically the, the conversations that come about as a result of the work. So then I, I'll be thinking about it all day, all week. Sometimes like the, the certain things will come back to me throughout the year that somebody said in, in relation to like a work that I that I created. And, and uh, they're like, well, you know, maybe I can work on that relationship with my father. And, you know, like I just, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and then I, I'm, I'm, I have to uh, just rethink, retool, you know, my uh, my 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 paradigm. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. Do you find that it's challenging, you know, in terms of your own mental health to be dealing regularly with such really heavy, complex, kind of fraught topics? I I, I think that there's no way that it cannot. Mm. You know, uh, and I, I've um, I've had my you know some my low points. You know, uh, yeah. like sometimes it, it is it is a lot, and, and uh, I I feel exhausted. You know, uh, um, from thinking about certain things or or having certain conversations, and just like uh, like someone will tell me like a really sad story. You know, uh, uh, the something I wasn't prepared for, but you know that I know is, is common. But when you hear somebody tell you their their story, like. Just like one little thing about you know um, their life, suddenly it it, it, it takes a, a greater toll on 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 my uh, on my mind and my soul. Mm. Like just like like wow, that was heavy. Like yeah. I, I I don't think I could carry that with me all the way home. Like then I'll just I have to turn on the radio really loud. Like I got I got empty out. Mm. Like I got empty out. Like everything, because I I don't have room for for um, myself. If, if that makes sense. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, it does. Um, because that energetic transfer when someone sort of offers you that gift of their story or their trauma or their pain, it's real. You know, you you come away carrying something that you didn't have before, and it's it's part of the reason why people need, I think, that kind of cleansing ritual, like, you know, turning on the radio or shaking it off or going for a walk. Um, because if you just, if you don't go through that, you just get heavier and heavier with the things that you're given. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes because of that, like, I, I want to switch gears. I'm like, okay, I want to do something fun. Like, yeah. like a fun, like right now I'm working on what I think is a fun piece. And it's just this, this rooster with like a starburst behind it mm-hmm. and, and a banner above it saying El Gallo. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, this is a fun piece. But, you know, like, but, but is it really? You know, it's still uh, a cock. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's still very male. It's still very aggressive. You know, like, it's like, maybe I'm just fooling myself. <laughs> I'm just continuing this cycle. Like, like I can't uh, get away from it. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to ask you actually about this icon of the rooster as a theme in your work and just kind of how you would explain it and uh how did it sort of come about and end up having such a big role in your practice well i i when i was in mexico where where i grew up um in uh tierra caliente uh, which translates to a uh, hot dirt uh when i where i grew up we had a farm and we had chickens and roosters well actually we only had one rooster but <laughs> uh <laughs> like I have fond memories of them running around and me chasing them. And um, so when I started first bringing them into my work, it, 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 uh, it was just that. It was just a fond memory. But as I, as I started like doing it more and more, well, I, I, didn't realize, I didn't realize actually how often I was doing them. And before I knew it, it's like they were like all over my work. It's just mm-hmm. like everywhere. And, but I was using them no longer as, as a fond memory. Mm. Now that there's a stand-in for Mel Bravado, they're a stand-in for arrogance, they're a stand-in, you know, for for violence and and, uh, and just uh, you know uh, something else. Mm-hmm. And and I like that. I like that I can pack a lot of symbolism into uh, into one one uh, icon. And I like when I can put more things into one bucket in. in, in uh, 
And so I only carry one bucket, but that bucket is loaded. <laughs> <laughs> and I like I like that. I I don't I don't like to over message in my work because I think sometimes you, you, you lose focus of what you're trying to uh, say, what you're trying to uh, accomplish. And so I like to simplify it. But I like to pack a lot in there, so I'm, I'm very uh, selective as to what I include. And because I can draw, and I can, and and I have, uh, uh, I have a more realistic uh, um, uh, aesthetic, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always tempted to put more, and so my fight is to always like strip away things. And a lot of times in my initial sketches for what I want to do, I have a lot, and then like, okay, uh. then I'm mixing things out. Like, no. Nope, nope. Like sometimes I'm like, okay, you only want to do this because you want to show off that you can do it, uh-huh. not because it, it, it's going to make it a better piece. So then I, I just start removing, stripping it away to its essence, and and then like, okay, there it is. It was hiding, and you know, like sometimes I just have to like move things out of the way so that the the true work can be revealed. Mm. And, um, it's always something I struggle with. I want to put everything in there. And I'm like, okay, like, like, just start, start looking at it more carefully. Yeah. And try again. Yeah, I really like that because I'm someone who perpetually overexplains myself and over uh, complicates things. And I think particularly when you're working in visual art, it takes a lot of courage to say, I'm going to make a simple image and I'm going to make the simple image stand on its own and a kind of confidence in that. And, you know, that this minimal work will do what I'm asking it to do is really wonderful. And I'm sure something that comes a lot with time and practice to sort of build that up. But it's uh, a lot of times I think what separates something that might look more amateur from something that looks professional is just what you say, is that is that the artist has taken the time to find what in the composition was doing the work, what was doing the heavy lifting, and let that just do its job and you don't need anything else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, you know, I have, uh, like I do little workshops. Uh, I try to do at least one a year. I like to do more, but it's always a, a matter of like timing. You know, <laughs> mm. I'm sure like every artist could identify with having deadlines. And like sometimes all the cool opportunities show up at the same time. Yeah. And you can Say yes to everything. And you're like, ah, like right now I wanted to do this workshop. Like right now it's the perfect time. And when I do these workshops, I really love it because I get a chance to talk to the to the uh to the artists or aspiring printmakers and and I get to really, you know, like just drill down, like you don't need all this. Strip it away, strip it down. You know, like uh keep your focus. And you know, it just and I wish someone would have said that to me when mm-hmm. I was younger. You know, it, and I, I tried to instill those lessons in, in, in younger artists. You know, th- don't waste your time trying to put everything in there. Mm-hmm. Like, take your time, you know, stretch it out. You know, like, it's this is not the last piece you're going to make. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a such a good point. Um is that I, a lot of times I, I will feel that way myself when I'm trying to make something that is just like, this has to be everything all the time, constantly, when really you're going to have another shot. You could have another shot tomorrow if you wanted it to create something new. Yeah, I like that a lot. No, it's a, it's, you know, it's a, there's just so many things that like, like, I, again, I, 
I wish uh, a part of me loves that, that I've taught myself how to do um, many things. Some things I learned in school, some things I taught myself. But, but you know, like with the printmaking, I've worked with printmakers. I've you know, I've I've gotten some tips from printmakers, a lot of great tips from printmakers, but a lot of things I had to learn the hard way. And had I not done that, I wouldn't uh, have attempted the things that I did. But damn it, I just wish like, I would have gotten like, a heads up on some of the, the, the things that just took too long uh, uh, to, to, uh, to really resonate with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in addition to your own practice, you also have several projects going on, it looks like. Um, and I'm hoping you could maybe speak a little bit to those today, like the Couriers of Hope. Oh, yeah. So during the pandemic, uh, I, I got involved in a couple of projects because, you know, everybody was trying to figure out a way. Well, not everybody, but, you know, like a, a, a lot of, you know, nonprofits, a lot of galleries mm. that were trying to figure out how to get people engaged in art, with art, since they couldn't come out to the galleries. And so that was a, a, a drive-by uh, gallery. So the, the work was displayed in the windows, and you could drive by. You didn't have to get out of the car. I mean, you could get out of the car, but but you could you wouldn't go inside the, the gallery. Mm. And uh, and so that was cool. Like, and I did I think about three or four uh, shows like that. And like, well, you know, uh, there was no uh, there was not, no no no. Uh, no consequence on my part. Like, like I didn't have the stress. Like, oh my god, what if it doesn't sell? Right. It, it, like, and, and that's one of the thing. Uh, like, I always stresses me out about an exhibition. That if I, I I put in the work and then like if it doesn't sell, it's you know like it's it's gonna hurt my self esteem. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to feel bad. I don't feel bad. You know, like it's not that I that, that I need the money. I mean, I could always use the money like everybody else. But I've never really cared about making money as an artist. I've, and and I should. I'm sure my family would appreciate it. If <laughs> I took a, a greater interest in this. But I just thought, oh, what what a great like non stressful project to get involved with. Mm. There's like I just create something fun. They show it. it you know, we're, we're working with. Um, with these, you know, these school kids, and we're going to do an exchange, or you know, like it, it's it's all fun, it's all warm and fuzzy, you know, like there there's uh, there's nothing on the line that like that where where I'm going to lose. Mm-hmm. I, for me, it was a win-win, and uh, so that, that that that's what you know. Um, for me, that's what that that project meant, and I, I also did this this other project where uh, with, with another gallery. And now I'm gonna feel bad that I can't remember the name of the gallery, mm. uh, but it, it was putting artwork in you know in just obscure or or obvious places like on a fence on a wall and. Uh, all over the city, all over the county, and you could just drive around like all day and still not cover all the art uh, sites mm. where uh, art installations. And and that was fun too. And it got me a, a write up in, in uh, L.A. Times. You know, uh, 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 Christopher Knight had had gave me a, a couple, uh, made a couple comments about the work, which for me it was like that was totally worth it. But it had. <laughs> Had I known that was going to happen, like I would have been stressed out. But the fact that I was expecting nothing and that happened, like that was great. It was like yeah. that was like we never. <laughs> so I mean, like COVID, COVID times in that sense was good for me. I mean, like it, it, I, I sold work and I, I got to show the work, and it was, it was, it was fantastic. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. I had no idea that there were 
projects like that going on. I love that idea of the the drive-by gallery just as a way to have some semblance of engaging in art in a public way during the pandemic. And it's, you know, Southern California is such a, a car culture that it just seems really fitting uh, as well that that was sort of the the method. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I always thought that the, all the galleries should have that as a component of, of, you know, of their exhibition, you know, where they had, uh, they would have a portion where people could just walk by or drive by and actually enjoy something. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't wait for another pandemic. Yeah. I, I just I thought that was, like, that was so fun because people would send me pictures that they, they, they tag me on, you know, like, or, or, or text them to me. And, Oh, we drove by the this gallery, and you know, and we saw your work, and it was just it was just fun, and everybody felt good about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you also are doing a sort of print of the month project as well. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that that is a really fun project. Uh, my uh, art dealer uh, Matt Gleason and I uh, started doing this. Uh, print of the month where we invited uh, 11 artists, 12 including me, uh, to do a print of the month. And I would take their artwork and have a magnesium plate uh, fabricated, and which was basically like a relief plate. And I would run it through my uh, nice uh, Griffin press uh, and, uh, and make relief prints. And we did it like an, an edition of 40. And these were non-printmakers. And I just, I just like to get other artists excited about printmaking i'm hoping that they'll they'll want to do more printmaking i i really think that we cannot have enough printmakers yes yes i agree (laughs) and and, you know and to translate their work which is not traditionally uh printed uh into a print was interesting for them and it was interesting for me and each each print because of of the different uh styles and techniques was a challenge to print, but one that I was willing to take on, and and I really I really enjoyed it. I, I like uh, hoping to do to do more. Mm, yeah, but you know those things take time, <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're a lot of fun. So yeah. I, I love the artists and and uh, helping them create the, the, the their print and, and give them inspire them to to do more. Yeah, do you think you have made any converts? I think so. In fact, um, somebody contacted me today. They went to go see me while I was at the art fair, uh, asking me, uh, you know, uh, if we could work on on another one, you know, just uh, outside of the print of the month project, and you know, and and really uh, do something special. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So uh, like, I know at least I have one. <laughs> yeah, that's but, great. But that's what I like about the, like like this project doing the workshops you know like you know i always tell people like if i'm doing the workshop it's I, i'm aiming for non-printer non-print makers so in and i am and i'm not but basically what i want is for people to not be afraid of it mm. if i say it's for printmakers then people who may have an interest will not do it because they think oh it's gonna be too technical for me mm-hmm. but when i say non-print makers as well as printmakers they're like oh okay then like there'll be room for me there'll be a seat for me yeah and, and i i know that once i get them in front of of a press and once i get them carving they're gonna get excited i know i did yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely so you're sort of working like a collaborative printmaker then um or do you think it, you're because you're working with maybe people who've done art but they haven't done printmaking uh is that right. correct yeah correct i mean i i 
I try to work uh, mostly with with professional artists, uh, and more than anything, because uh, I think when the artists are uh, are professional, they're more likely to to go through with it. Mm. Whereas sometimes people just have an interest, and in, I don't. I'm very uh, um, careful how I spend my time, and I want to, you know, uh, I want people to respect my time. Yeah. And if I'm going to make time for you, I want you to really want to do it. Mm. And, you know, and that way it's bo- it's worth both a while. And, uh, I, and that's the only reason I, I, I prefer working with professional artists. But if someone was very enthusiastic and, and had a passion for it and they wanted to learn it, I would definitely like want to work with them. Yeah, absolutely. Is I'm curious, you know, in, 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 you're in Bangkok, correct? Yeah. What uh, What is the, the printmaking scene there? Uh, oh, yeah. I, one yeah, thing yeah. I love makers is that like we're so community community orientated and we're like we're just you know like are always helping each other and um uh, that's one thing i love about traveling anywhere i go if i find the printmakers i know it's gonna be okay (laughs) yes absolutely and you completely would find printmakers in thailand it has such a great printmaking scene here um Thailand is a is a country that sort of the contemporary arts culture is still very much based in skill and and craftsmanship in a way that it really lends itself to printmaking. And so if you yeah, if you ever find yourself coming to Thailand, please let us know. Uh, we'd love to host you, but also we could absolutely give you names of workshops and studio and talented artists. Um, there's incredible work here. There's a, a really amazing studio up in Chiang Mai called CAP Studio. It's the Chiang Mai Art on Paper, so C-A-P. And uh, the Kirikang Tilakwatanotai, who's the founder and director and a great print friend, he's uh, has been doing it, I don't, gosh, I'm going to feel embarrassed. I don't know how long, maybe 15 years or something like that. He brings artists in from all around the world to make additions. They primarily do etchings, but they also do relief as well. And then here in Bangkok, um, we've got a place called Pineapple Print Press, so PPP editions. And they also do etching and woodcut. And there's not a lot of lithography. Um, there's one studio that's just opening up now that does some of the most beautiful plate litho that's, I think, called Lithotopia, I think. So, like, yeah, and they do a lot of really nice work. Um, and there's a screen printing studio as well that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. But it's definitely smaller. You know, Bangkok mm-hmm. is the size of New York in terms of population. And, you know, really? Yeah, yeah. But we could still count the number of print studios on one hand, you know, unlike New York. So it is definitely a smaller scene, but of course, full of great people and really close knit. So, you you know, when we can all travel again, if you like doing some of the print tourism. Yeah. I, I, I am going to be working towards that. <laughs> oh, you absolutely should. It's wonderful. And of course, the the food and the beaches and the people, it all lives up to the hype for sure in Thailand. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So please, yeah, come on over. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And um, I was just... I just remembered we also, um, our podcast, the Hello Print Friend Twitter account does shop dog Saturdays. So if you do want to uh, ever show us your shop dog, it's sort of our, our slogan. Oh. If you do Twitter, we, uh, we're trying to collect I, I, shop dogs from around the world. 
I will, I will do that. Awesome. Oh. Awesome. Oh. So, that, that, that's right up my alley. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. So tell me, like, what are you looking forward to? And I know it's sort of a funny question in COVID often, but um, anything like projects or exhibitions or collaborations on the horizon that you want to give a shout out to while we've got you on the air? Well, you know, like right now, I don't have anything in, in, in the pipeline. I, uh, which is every time I say that, like something comes through, like I'm like thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to have time to actually like create this like new body of work. Mm. And, and, uh, and then something lands, lands on my lap that's going to compete with that. Right. <laughs> and like, like, oh, I finally have some time to, to do like my own, you know, like my own work and do my, you know, do this, uh, new body of work that I've been trying to get out and like, okay, great. I have this big block of time and we'll see. I'm, I'm really looking forward more than anything to creating new work in, um, I, I really want to do some, some, um, big prints, um, but on, on my Griffin press, cause uh, like my wood blocks, they're hand printed. And, you know, like they're like four feet by eight feet. And as fun, as much fun as it is, the older I'm getting, the less fun it is to put in that much work. I bet. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, it's like maybe I can s- slow down. I had like a, a health scare uh, mm. two years ago and it really slowed down, like, not because I don't want to, it's just my body doesn't w- want to do it. Mm, <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. how can I keep doing these uh, large pieces? But how can I make it easier on myself? And so that's what I'm really looking forward to is just um, playing with with my press and, and getting out um, bigger pieces, but, you know, figuring out ways to make it easier for myself. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like finding new challenges to kind of bring it back to the theme, uh, yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, figure, I'll figure a way to make it more difficult. Yeah. No, beautiful. I make it <laughs> Well, excellent. Well, are you um, keen to do the a shop talk with Tim when we wrap up here? Yeah, yeah, I'm up for it. Oh, excellent. I'm very happy to hear that. So um, in that case, I'll just kind of pass you on to him so you two can talk some shop. But thank you so much for joining oh, me and, and talking I, so I, wonderfully. I really appreciate the invite. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and, you know, uh, I look forward to hearing more print, about more printmakers, and um, like every time you have one, I can't wait to see what 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 they have, what what they're discussing. You know, like just it's like opening up a new book. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful to hear. Well, I'm really looking forward to sharing your story, and like I said, I'm I just really think the work that you're doing is so interesting and beautiful, but also really important. You know, to open up the conversations about masculinity and how we construct it and why and how that affects people that's really important work for the the health of humans the health of society and so i was really happy to get to talk about it all with you so thank you for the work that you're doing too thank you thank you again for you know for the invitation i i i I feel like uh, it's like coming, you know, going and getting a nice warm meal. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) It's it's fantastic. Thank you. Oh, lovely, lovely. Well, thank you so much. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be David Sullivan, founder of Black Hand Gang Print Studio in the tropical paradise of Bali, Indonesia. We'll talk about starting your print shop right in the first months of a global pandemic and the exciting Indonesia contemporary art scene. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music 
by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.